what is going on everybody and welcome to process potables powered by last out media first in last out make sure that you are following us on all social media platforms we are on twitter at process potables we are on instagram at podcast potables network you can go to www.processpotables.com to find all the breweries we've been to and beers we've drank and whatnot any other links and fun stuff we're recording this immediately well i guess even technically during the sixers blowout loss Haven't done that too much yeah not too much and honestly this game feels like it's been going on for four or five hours already yeah. and it's still not over. So trying to get out in front of it and maybe save ourselves a bit of despair of even sitting through the rest of it and hoping that we don't let that letdown judge our overall perspective on things to this point. And it's it's a total coincidence, this was not planned, that we stopped watching a game seconds before Furcon is, uh, you know, seen not kind of limping whatsoever. and holding his crotch, like had nothing to do with that. It also wasn't planned that the Eagles would go ahead and let us down right before this game happened, too. Yeah, that so, kind of set the tone. We, we should have figured that things have been going a little too well lately, and we were due for one of these. Yep. Obviously, finding out before this game that Embiid wasn't going to play, which in my recap of last night's game for last out, I, I mentioned that obviously uh, a, a lot of figuring how we were going to feel about this game was going to depend on if he played or not. And sure enough, he was rolled out before the game. Not too much of a surprise to anybody, but something we'll talk about for sure. Before I get ahead of ourselves, this is episode 77 of Process Potables. This episode is titled Suffering from Embiiditis, which Allah Abdelabi cleverly said about Andre Drummond, who's now the Cavs center. And Embiid normally rent-free rent in his head, but tonight Drummond not having a deal with Joel Embiid, and that proves to be an enormous problem for the Sixers as he drops 24-14 and 14 in only 25 minutes. So the Sixers were outmatched from the start. Dwight Howard proved to be very exposed in a starting role. He was in foul trouble for the majority of the game only got to play 15 minutes as a result. They really couldn't get much out of him. They ended up going with, you know, whoever you want to call the center out there. It was a combination of Mike Scott, Ben Simmons, and I guess you could even say Tobias Harris at, at very nominal Yeah, and points. that other guy whose name I can just not remember. Well, I'm, I'm not even counting Tony Bradley. Yeah, he, that guy. He did play almost 15 minutes, but, I mean, we watched this, and again, it did not feel Tony Bradley. like he was really out there. And I think he's out there right now in, in garbage time. So if anything, that's contributing to it. They definitely realized early on that he wasn't going to make any bit of a difference, which, again, none of these things are all that surprising. The, the worst thing, I guess we're definitely going off the order I wanted to do this and whatever. We'll just talk about it. The worst thing to me is obviously what we continue to see this team completely struggle without Joel Embiid. And that's nothing new. It shouldn't be that surprising, but it's just disappointing. And you came in and saw how great everything fit. But, I mean, the story of the first two games was Joel Embiid carried them. So I guess it's not that much of a surprise that without him and the 28 points a game or so he was averaging through the first yeah. two, that that was going to be very difficult to make up for, especially when it seems like, you know, your other best two players and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons really haven't come out playing the best basketball so far. I think we've been okay with Ben Simmons, but I wouldn't say he's been great yeah. by any means. And Tobias has disappointed. Both of them showed up in the first half, and, and it was great to see. Now the Sixers as a whole only scored 
50 points, but Ben and Tobias had 26 of those, each with 13, each shooting very efficiently. I think Tobias was like three for five from three in the first half or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, he finishes the game very efficiently. He had 16 points, nine rebounds, five assists, and three steals in only 28 minutes. But, you know, they play a lot in the first half, and clearly they they were never able to turn this one around in the third. So I guess a positive note, no one getting a whole ton of wear and tear tonight, but that's not really something I guess I care to take away from this. They also mentioned that, so our next game is Tuesday against Toronto in Philly. Toronto is already in Philly while we're here in Cleveland on Sunday night (laughs) playing this game. So while you would think that the traveling team would probably be at a disadvantage, Toronto already in Philadelphia while the Sixers still have to get home from Cleveland. So not necessarily the advantage you'd like going into a, a team like Toronto, who even since the departure of Kawhi Leonard has played us very well. Uh, they do not have Marcus Gasol now, which should be interesting, but they still have a, a pretty talented team up there. And especially with two guards that give us fits. Yeah, they don't even have a Baca anymore, right? No, Ibaka is on the Clippers, Clippers I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry uh, yeah. continue to give us problems, and they still have Pascal Siakam as well, who I think is one of the most overrated players in the NBA, but uh, getting very ahead of ourselves. So we'll, we'll take a look at this one. So, Steve, I mean, is it, I'm going on a complete – I mean, not too negative, I don't think, but a, a very realistic, I guess, at the very least, tangent to start this. Is, is there anything you took away – even if you want to isolate it to like the first half of this game where it, the game wasn't necessarily over, anything you took away from this that Sixers fans could look to as a positive? As a positive? I mean, you did see a more aggressive Tobias Harris, especially in the first quarter. That's where it really popped out for me. I mean, he finished – he played the entire first quarter. He scored 10 points. He went 2 of 4 from 3. And you saw, you know, the more aggressive Tobias, which – also always seems to come out when Embiid's not in the game, whether Embiid's out for the entire game or for parts of the game. So that was, you know, encouraging to see. And as popular as it has become to just completely hate on Tobias Harris, at least, you know, he he showed up. He, again, Spares repeating a million times, no, he's not putting up the numbers with the contract he signed, but, uh, you know, he's at least given you, you know, some quality production. Um, And he did that and, uh, last night's game in New York, which I'm sure we'll get to. So we saw that, and um, that that that's probably my my biggest takeaway because there's. I think I, that I, has to be the one. I agree. With yeah, you. And, and and to be honest, like I, there's some things here I can kind of pick apart and really dive into, but it's just you know this is the third game in four nights, like, and and I think even the night before, um, four nights they played Wednesday, didn't they? Well, I'm talking about, you know, yesterday, today, they're off Monday, oh, and then they gotcha. play, yep. go back home uh, Toronto Tuesday. So, um, yeah, and last night I think it was Cleveland, you know, beat Detroit. So, you know, coming um, home from Detroit, playing against a team, coming all the way from New York, like, you know, I think there's a lot of little things there that can add up and just guys, uh, you know, being tired and all that. So it's only three games, but – <laughs> yeah, I don't. 
I mean, I don't think there's yeah. a huge difference. I mean, obviously, Cleveland and Detroit are pretty close, but New York to Cleveland's not that that big a deal anyway. It it all comes back to Embiid, but that's the problem is you know you're going to have a lot of games like this, and I don't think any of us like I was one of the most excited people that that I know about the acquisition of Dwight Howard. We recorded yeah. minutes after we heard about it, and I was ecstatic. But you knew that he wasn't he still wasn't a great fit for having to fill in for Joel as a starter. He's a great fit to back up Joel. There, there's yeah. a difference in what that is. And that doesn't mean that the Dwight Howard signing is bad or that doesn't mean that this is a problem for them because you're only going to go as far as Joel Embiid goes anyway in, in the grand scheme of it all. So I don't think that matters that much. But Although now that you brought up Dwight Howard, I do have to say I love how <laughs> with the, the win over New York, people finally, the majority of fans seem to get on a Dwight Howard you know, train and like, you know, he, he, he was really a good signing. I didn't think he was. And it's almost as everyone completely forgot about those 24 hours where everyone was like, you know, jerking off at the possibility of New Orleans Noel coming back. And it was much longer than 24 hours too. Yeah. So, and there's, there's two plays that kind of stuck out to me where Dwight just owned New Orleans in the post. And it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah we is a twig still. Yo, yeah, and, and dude, Dwight Howard, 17th, I mean, they, they keep repeating how old he is and how incredible a shape he is, but, I, I mean, you know, guys have been in the league that long are never in that great shape. Yeah, so I mean, I he mean, was always, a, his, his yeah. you know, physique was always freakish from when he came into the league and, you know, for, fortunate and good for him, he, he's maintained that. Yeah, to I, maintain that's like. I mean, I think, I mean, I think he naturally is kind of that way, which yeah. speaks to how gifted he was. But yes, you do still have to maintain, so credit to him for doing so, but. Yeah, because uh, Drum- Drummond, like, uh, does not look like he maintains. Like, he's... Oh, I don't know if you meant to say that, but Drummond is actually, like, we could maybe work with that. Like, drama, oh, his little yeah. drama queen kind <laughs> yeah. of action. Ooh. Yeah, they but, said he was 280, and I'm like... Might have to get the wheels turning on that yeah. one. One of the, I, I know, obviously our, our job is to analyze, but, and try to not overreact, and this may be a slight overreaction, but... It's also one of those things that Sixers fans love to do, which is idolize a player that they only see highlights of and they go look up all these advanced stats for, and they haven't really watched him all that much. And we've gotten to watch Seth Curry for three games now, and, dude, he doesn't do anything else but shoot. And when the shot's not falling at a ridiculous clip, he is uh, uh, he is more yeah. than you – know, he is less than, like, a non-factor out there. Like, he, he really hasn't had a game yet where I think you could call him – Anything more than average, and I'd say for the most part, he's been much worse than average so far. So probably his biggest uh, similarity with J.J. Redick, who myself included, a lot of people like to compare him to, is that when the shot's not falling, he's completely useless. Like the yeah, but see, the one thing I'll give J.J. and I was and like I hate the comparison to yeah, it's a bad comparison. Every three point shooter to J.J. because again, that's what they saw. What J.J. did off the ball just did so much, even if he wasn't shooting or making the shot. It was it was what you built your offense around. You didn't right. build this offense around Seth Curry. So he's basically standing there. And now it's going to take time to do those things. He yeah. just got here super short offseason. But, man, like, he he really brings nothing else. People were talking about him as being potentially being able to be your backup point guard. There's no chance he no, can oh my do God. that. Tonight proved that to me because there's just – I think it was sometime late in the second – 
uh, Simmons was cutting to the basket, and he just made this like shitty pass that just like yeah, it's just it was a bit there. of a tight window and hard pass to make, but it's just like like dude, like when you're just a guard, like you should just have a minimal amount of you know ball handling and passing in the right. NBA, and that just and, and people just over. Yikes. I guess oversimplify what they think is required to be like a backup ball handler. Yeah. But it's weird that fans here keep doing it because we keep trying to fit these wrong pieces in that role and it doesn't work because it takes a lot more than people want to admit and you have to find the right guy for it. And the other problem here now, and I've been an advocate of not doing this already, and I think if you are going to start to break down that Seth Curry is definitely a little less than you anticipated, that this is an even worse idea than it was. People want Shake Milton to start, and they want Seth Curry to play that Shake Milton role. Seth Curry cannot create no. like Shake Milton. No. He cannot. Shake Milton is a much better backup point guard than Seth Curry could ever be already. Oh yeah. Even if you don't think Shake is the the best idea for the backup point guard position, I get that. He it, we've talked about how he's really a combo guard, but he has way more backup point guard potential than Seth Curry. He has way more like sixth man like, off-the-bench spark plug offense than Seth Curry. Like, Seth Curry, if he's – if this is how he looks with the starting five and getting to play that, like, yeah. stand there and shoot the shot, which really is the only thing he is actually very good at. And so far he hasn't been, but I don't worry about the shooting. But the other stuff is not going to get better, really. The only thing that can – balance out is the shooting comes and that shooting is only going to be as elite as we hope it is if he's playing with like the starters and all the talent he's not doing that on his own where shake milton has the potential to do it yeah and through the first three games it's kind of interesting how in the first half it it seems like doc rivers it's it's like to me uh, a hockey line change uh towards the end of the second quarter or i'm sorry towards the end of the first quarter and uh, towards the beginning of the second quarter, he goes to this, you know, backup, this lineup. It's uh, Dwight, uh, Milton, Furcon, Mike Scott, and Shake. And it kind of baffles me how people think, well, oh, we'll just uh, start Shake and, you know, put Seth on the bench and everything will work out. They'll they'll play exactly how they've been. It's like, no, like, because as, as much as I love Maxi, what I see right now, he's not going to create space for Curry to get open for three or, you know, make any kind of those shots like that. That lineup around Curry off the bench is not going to produce the way Curry could produce with the starting no, lineup. No, there's no so, other creator. Yeah, there. Yeah, they, yeah they, so you, you can't do that. Like, it's just not that – people think it's so much simpler, but it's it's not simple at all. Yeah. I mean, most people who really try to think they can talk about substitutions are usually guys that play NBA 2K and, like, wholesale yeah. sub their lineup in and out at one time instead of staggering it the way they do. Because even when you're talking about Doc bringing in that bench lineup, they don't all come in at once. Shake comes in first for Seth. Yeah. And then usually Danny Green comes out for Korkmaz a little bit. And then you get the other three guys coming in much later in the quarter because you're giving Furkan and Shake a little bit more time than a lot of the other bench guys. They, they clearly right now are the first two off the bench and really make up like your top seven. That seems pretty cemented right now and then everyone else is kind of fighting for their role and their minutes and everything like that which so far I gotta say I have been fairly impressed with Mike Scott and you love to see it because obviously the hive and we all love Mike and last season was brutal was just absolutely brutal and 
people people were pretty open about it. We definitely tiptoed a little because everybody loves the guy, but uh, I really hope that he can hold out and maintain this role at least until the deadline, and then who knows mm-hmm. what happens. But at least for now, saying that he's at least not like a problem, that it looks like he's back to kind of you know playing a little more physical. He he had some possessions earlier, some defensive possessions earlier in this game where we were like, okay, like he was holding his own against like a Kevin Love before Kevin Love came out of the game, or even having to deal with like Drummond or uh, Nance a couple yeah, of Larry times. Nance, yeah. So it's good to see him filling back in that role. Obviously, he's not going to be a solution to really any of your problems, but yeah. at least being a contributor, at least being something you don't have to really worry too much about. Right now, if everybody else does their job, it is a great thing to see out of Mike Scott. And you talked about Tyrese Maxey. The one thing I loved from him tonight is he does seem like a like when Cleveland went to that 2-3 zone in the second half, we've seen the past few years that for some reason this yeah. team's brain just melts whenever they see a zone. And Tyrese Maxey was just like, fuck this. I'm slashing right through this whole yep. thing. Now, when he got to the rim, he had a little bit of trouble, and he, yeah. you know, he didn't position himself all that well. But, again, the one thing we praise that kid for is fearlessness and yeah. aggressiveness. And, boy, he showed it again in the time that he got tonight because although the shot didn't look great, and, yeah. again, some of those attempts at the rim were a, a little uh, – uh, I guess ugly to to put it simply, uh, the the fact that he was just willing to to drive past and had the speed to just gash that entire three two zone with really nobody else doing much for it w- was very impressive to me. And again, something you're really hoping you could develop from him and something the Sixers have not had for quite a long time. Yeah, and it helps too. Of uh, you know, compared to most of the guys on the on this team, he's not that far uh, you know removed from playing college basketball, where you, you see that uh, kind of defense True. a Great lot. Point. So. And, uh, and, and dude, he, he might be like the quickest guy I've ever seen just go to the basket. And like, I mean, I can go back as far as Iverson, obviously, you know, the way he got to the basket, that just kind of set the bar for how many guys play today's game. But he might be the first guy where there was one, uh, you know, drive in particular. Time, I'm like, shit, he might be going too fast at a basket. Well, that's like, what happened. That's pro- yeah, and I'm that's just, the same one we're and, talking about. He went yeah, right down like, the middle of that shit. two three zone. Yeah, but he got like stuck <laughs> under the rim and like threw up this two handed attempt at a layup. Yeah, and it almost went in, but it was ugly. And yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. I think he probably was out of control. Didn't really anticipate. He was, wasn't was worried about where he was going to get to. He was just worried about getting yeah. there. And that's one of those things you just have to learn. But I'm fine with it. Yeah, you have to play through those kind of mistakes, yeah. uh, you know, especially when you're a rookie. But, you so. know, what What else was this offense going to do? They're just going to pass it around the arc and somebody was going to take a pull-up three. And, again, tonight was not the night for that. They go 11 of 35 from three. And it seemed like guys were just like, all right, well, Cleveland's kind of just sitting back and daring us to go to the rim, and I don't feel like it, so I'm going to chuck it. And yeah. they didn't have it tonight. And, hey, there may be games where you hit 20 of 35 and win that game, but I would much rather have like the idea that you put a little pressure on that defense, maybe try and break them out of that zone. I mean, Cleveland just dictated the game tonight. They were up almost 30, and they were full-court pressing. Like They decided to, yeah. they, they went to a zone not because they needed to switch their defense. Like They went to a zone because they could, because they decided that even up 20-something points that they were going to make that switch and, and confuse the Sixers. And they decided, 
with a lead that big that they were going to full court press and put pressure on the Sixers' backcourt. And you saw Dante Exum, of all people, you know, oh playing the T.J. McConnell role of full court pressing, creating turnovers as you try to bring the ball up. Like, dumb shit like that is just so annoying, and it feels like it's the same story every season. It doesn't matter who the personnel is. It doesn't matter who the coach is. There's just some some dumb shit that happens, and this was always going to be that game. And if you didn't know that, then you have not been a fan long enough. It's going to be hilarious, too, when people are going to say see these same types of things that have been happening in the past few years. They always wanted to you know, blame and fire Brett Brown. And they're going to keep saying these things, but everything short of saying, well, you know, Doc Rivers is, isn't a good coach. He needs to get fired. As well as, oh, well, you know, at least this isn't a losing culture they're building here. <laughs> like, But they're going to say all the same criticisms anyway. That eventually led to those bigger points. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Doc Rivers in the post game apparently said that Joel Embiid planned on going tonight, but back tightness became apparent in warm up. So, well, when you're carrying a team on your butt on your back, I mean, fair, you know. Uh, I mean, I I guess it's interesting that this wasn't pre planned. At least they're you know going with that idea. Didn't feel right in warm ups. Didn't want to use his absence as an excuse. Said the team needs to play through it. That's from our friend Paul Hudrick. Make sure you give him a follow at Paul yes. Hudrick. Paul's, Paul's a good follow. He is. Um, so, and be it apparently a late scratch, it sounds like. Uh, some other quotes. He also said that Ben Simmons' scoring and playmaking balance was off tonight, but also thought the spacing around him was equally a problem. So, sounds like some issues with Ben. And I th- we saw some of that early, and I don't think that had to do with spacing. I think this is yet just another issue of Ben not being aggressive enough wanting to finish. Well, we saw a couple times yeah. in that first quarter where he could just slash through that Cleveland defense with no problem, and then he's, he's like, dropping the ball off yeah. to Tobias, who is trying to crash the boards. He's not expecting Ben to hand him the ball. He's expecting Ben to go for a goddamn layup. And Ben's like, nope, here you go, Toby. And Toby bobbles in and drops it. Yeah, we looked at each other like, dude, what are you doing? Like, and he's he, behind you, not expecting that pass. Like, yeah, he had a couple of those where he goes in and he tries to get it to, like, Dwight. And I think Dwight lost it out of bounds. Like, there are a couple of bad turnovers where Ben just puts the shot up. Somehow he's got the baby hook. He can go to the lab. And then we saw later he's running in transition. He goes through, like, three cows and dunks it. And I was like, do that every time. Yeah, and that's what drives like th- that's my biggest issue with Ben Simmons. I'm, I I think to was it uh, last January where he just went on a tear that whole month and he was just like put when Embiid was out and he was just putting up points and just going to the basket like there was none of that and it was just like okay like Joel's out you got to be the guy now so stop trying to make these fancy last second passes that no one's expecting like just go dunk the fucking ball get to the line I know you're probably gonna miss most of those free throws anyway but that's. That's going to be something. It's still going to help. Yeah. If you want to try to find some silver lining in this one, not actually even from this game, it's that this was a interesting night around the league. Uh, Milwaukee lost by 20 to the Knicks. It Boston is currently trailing Indiana by two. So you could have a loss there. Brooklyn lost to Charlotte. The Clippers really? lost. Oh. Brooklyn lost to Charlotte. The Clippers lost by four. 51 to the Mavericks. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently Kawhi didn't play, but still, but still. holy shit. So Pandemic P not uh, you know, showing up. Sun- Sunday, a lot of these teams, I think, played back-to-back because I think almost every team that didn't play on Friday had to fit in two games this week. It weekend. seemed like that, yeah. And 
it's Christmas time, it's the holidays, it's a Sunday. So, you know, maybe just a little sloppy around the league, but a lot of the uh, so-called elite teams dropping some clunkers today. So we are not alone, but does that make you feel any better? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it, not knowing what to expect, going through the first three games, two and one, however you slice it, even if you tell me it's Washington, New York, and Cleveland, which are all teams that we don't anticipate being playoff teams, I guess maybe Washington slides in the bottom, but definitely not New York or Cleveland. Yeah. That, you know, it wouldn't have been that wild if they went 1-2 and two or 0-3. Oh so while they should be 3-0 and oh probably, 2-1, and one, you know, let, let's let's see how Toronto looks it. on Tuesday. The first, you know, closer to elite team in the East that the Sixers will face off against. You get Joel in there now with two full days of rest. So hopefully that helps. Doesn't have to deal with Marcus Gasol. Everybody else should be good to go. We still don't know anything about if the, if the Furkan injury is actually that serious or not. If Furkan Korkmaz does not play... Do you think that that's an increased role for Tyrese Maxey, or do you think we see – I mean, obviously it's going to be both to some extent, but would you expect a lot more time for Maxey, or do you think Matisse Thibel might jump into that role and you leave Maxey where he is? Yeah, I, I think just – it probably makes most sense to have, have Thibel just play his minutes, but at the same time give Maxey more control of the offense, more opportunities because – at this point in time, Thibault's just there for defensive purposes. He isn't really going to contribute anything to the offense. And I, I'm kind of surprised we saw him as early as we did in the second half of tonight's game because I did notice in the New York game, Maxi was really only playing in the first half and Thibault was playing in the second half. So they're thinking like, okay, the Sixers got this one. They, they had a lead and they're just going to put Thibault out there to add to the defense. We don't need his offense you know, at all, and, you know, so maybe, like, he he does get some more minutes, but I think Maxi maybe gets more, you know, gets his number called a little more. Yeah, there's something to not messing with the routine of a kid that's still learning things, but especially we talked about how yeah. Furkan and Shake kind of get a little more time and are the first two off the bench. I don't want Matisse to be that guy, so I don't know necessarily yeah. how you do that. Maybe it ends up being more like Mike Scott and you play – you know, Mike Scott at the four with, with Tobias and, and Dwight or something like that. Maybe yeah. you stretch Tobias out a little more if you have to. We know Tobias can handle the long minutes. And, and, and you know, if, if there's anything good that even the biggest haters can't say about Tobias is that he's available, he plays, and yeah. you could pretty much you could run him off 48 if, if you asked for it. Yeah, Tobias can be like our innings eater, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a long reliever at this yeah. point. He's definitely not a starter, and he's no. definitely not a closer, but – you know, you need that long reliever or something. And he just happens to be getting a big paycheck yeah. every two weeks. That's uh, all. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if a uh, long reliever has ever yeah. gotten $180 million, but yeah. I, I guess they have now. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, it, it was a great game against the Knicks. It seemed a little sloppy. I think they were only up like five at the half. It was like 60 to 55 yeah. or something like that. But they run away with it in the third. They end up winning by 20. You get a lot of garbage time there. But once again, it really felt like outside of Joel Embiid, you weren't getting that much help. Uh, Tobias looked better than he did in the opener, and that carried into tonight, at least in the first yeah. half. So maybe he's getting back on track. But still not much from Danny Green. Seth Curry played pretty well. But again, other than the shooting, which is fine, but other than the shooting, you're just not seeing too much of him. 
And again, not having that JJ Redick motion from him or anything. I mean, unless he's unless everybody else is generating him being open, I don't feel like there's that much created for him or by him. And I think that's going to continue to be a problem uh, until they can figure something out because he's relying on the attention of everybody else, which can be fine. But I, I think you're going to have to figure out a way to get him in some sort of a little bit more of a creator mode at some points to really get the value out of yeah. him. Uh, Shake Milton, again, not a great weekend for him. He really didn't do too much in either game, which, I, I, again, I think people look back to the best games he had last season and then forget all the worst games. He can go very cold. He is still a very young player. He's a guy that took a long time to even get to the NBA because he, he's kind of raw. The shot's there, but I think he still has a lot to learn. And again, I think that that's something that you definitely don't really want to mix into the starting lineup. I think he's much better having that freedom to create on his own with a bunch of bench players. So I think that so far for him through all three of these games, that I, I, th- I think you're really seeing that Doc kind of got the nature of this team right off the start. I don't really think there's anything you can do rotation-wise that's going to no. change a whole lot for this team for the better. I think if you start messing with it, I think you would only make it worse. Yeah, you definitely got to you know go with what works right now. Now is not the time to experiment, especially when you didn't really have much of a preseason. And if if anything, you, you wait till um, you know the trade deadline and. You, they'll probably because if I'm not mistaken, isn't like the season kind of split up into two? Like well, I know they're not having the All Star game, and they haven't really quite scheduled the rest of the games, or that's well, they all. definitely haven't announced it. I don't know if they've scheduled yeah. it, but yeah, we only know about the first half of the schedule. So I imagine they'll probably, and I'm sure that's what most teams are going to do. Where you know there's a trade deadline, and maybe they have like a week or two, which. It, Obviously, isn't a lot of time, but you know maybe they at least get a little bit of time to acclimate new players and you know figure something out. So yeah, I have no idea. I, I that, mean, that's I, my only guess. Go- I think regardless of them having announced it, I think they're going to try and compress this thing as much as they can and try and get the season back to normal dates yeah. next year. So I don't really know if you can expect much of a revamp or restart kind of thing. I feel like it's just a matter of these things becoming public more than. Them, yeah. them needing to be done. I have a feeling that it's probably done. It's just obviously they don't want to put it out there because everything's subject to change. Yeah. Uh, because of COVID, obviously, and, and, and things of that nature. Steve, I, I don't really know what else to do. The only thing I wanted to talk about was uh, it felt it felt like with everything we've talked about basically since the, uh, you know, the restart of the season that I think we have to talk about a, a very standout stat line from a Houston Rockets player with Sixers ties. Ooh. And that would be Christian Wood. Yeah. Christian Wood at 31 and 13 the other night. Yeah. 31 and 13. Dude, he he was a former Sixer. Okay, no, obviously we're going to talk about James Harden. Yeah. Did you actually want to talk about Christian? <laughs> no, Wood? no, I I actually watched a couple minutes of that game uh after after the Sixers game last night and they're like he just like made a ridiculous three. And I'm like, "Wait, he went 0 of 2 from 3. Wait, he did? Christian Wood? Yeah. Yeah. I swear, okay, maybe he attempted 3, but then he, in the beginning of the second half, he just, like, went baseline for this dunk, and I'm like, where the hell was that? But, you know, uh, in typical Philadelphia sports uh, fashion, he gets much better after leaving the city, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's he's the guy that Ben broke, broke his foot on, right? I think so, Yeah. 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 yeah, that that's the best thing he did as a sixer. Now mm-hmm. he's putting up thirty one and thirteen. 
with the guy we actually have to talk about, which is James Harden. James Harden, who, okay, we've we've made our points on James Harden, and I and I think you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we're pretty much we really like Ben, and we're not like aggressively pursuing this trade. But if James James Harden becomes a Sixer, then we're obviously gonna be fans of James Harden and the Sixers and root for him, and we think it would be good, right? Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, there was a weird thing happening on Twitter where I don't know how this started, but there was some subset of, I don't know if they were even necessarily Sixers fans or not, or if they're just weird NBA people or just Harden haters, but there was some kind of weird thing going on where people were talking about James Harden being a ball hog and not distributing the ball. And people had to explain that he's has like led the league in like assists before. Yeah. And he's basically been their point guard for like years. And even with guys like Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook there, I mean, you're usually initiating your offense through James Harden because that's how he works. Yeah. Uh, he comes out through all the strip club bullshit, through all the <laughs> postponement, the COVID, the quarantine, all the fat jokes, everything. He comes out in this game. He plays 43 fucking minutes and he puts up 44 points and 17 goddamn assists. Yeah. Like, whether you want him or not, this is absurd. This is absolutely crazy. He just walked out there, and whether you thought he was fat and out of shape or whether you thought he was a ball hog or whether you don't think that he could show up when it counts, I mean, I know this is only a, a, the first regular season game, but holy shit, dude. Yeah. 44 and 17 like it's nothing. He goes to the line 16 times in this one. 14 of 16 from the line, 6 of 13 from 3. Shoots over 50% from the field. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And, and again, I have been one of the guys that's, like, not all in on that deal. But this is crazy. And you made a great point, which is what I think is especially prudent after tonight's game, is imagine tonight's game and you replace Ben Simmons with James Harden. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, you have to imagine they win by 15, right? Yeah, regardless of where you are on whether we should trade Ben for Harden – at least once throughout a game like tonight, you have to go put yourself through this thought exercise, right, of, man, you know, like, I love Ben and everything, but, but man, if, if, if Harden was in this game right now, like, I mean, if, if we lose by 30, it's because James Harden, you know, goes, uh, you know, 9 for 30 from the field, and, you know, guys like him are going to have those games on occasion. But, I mean, it's more but likely. even James Harden, 9 of 30 from the field, probably goes 14 of 17 from the exactly. line. Exactly. Yeah, which is yeah. so dumb to think about. But it's I. But personally, I probably more likely that he has you know a game with forty four points and seventeen assists than you know a game like that. So, it, like it really makes you think, and it's just you it's know. it's absolutely nuts. And and the worst part is last night everybody everybody was in love with how Ben Simmons was locking down R.J. Barrett on the Knicks. But I think you have to t- tell yourself here. What's more valuable, a guy that can drop 50 on a dime or mm-hmm. a guy who, like, again, he it, it was plenty of Ben Simmons, but it is also a team defense. Locked down R.J. Barrett, who is a good player, but, like, it's R.J. Barrett. Dude, that drove me nuts. Like, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I am glad that Ben Simmons had that defensive performance against the Knicks last night. It's encouraging to see a guy who aspires to be defensive player of the year and was on all NBA defense team last year. First team. First all team defense. all defense, excuse me. Uh like he should have those games against a bad team, but 
People are pretending because R.J. Barrett has one really good game on the Knicks opening night. People are making it out seem like, oh, R.J. Barrett, like, Ben Simmons stopped him. He's good. He's good. Um, but, you know, it's R.J. Barrett. Like, he had a really disappointing right. rookie season. Well, um, and I happen, I, I know. really disappointing. I think he was in the rookie of the year contention like he he wasn't dude i i just read uh before coming on he wasn't uh on the all rookie team okay yeah and he was like the third overall pick and unfortunately i know three too many knicks fans and they're like yeah rj barrett's a little you know bit of a letdown but like you said i i agree for like the knicks too it's tough yeah th- that is a cursing of itself but i, I mean I, I there's part of me where i'm like wait are people really pretending that rj barrett's this you know th- this incredible player this like i think it was more just the, how frustrated he looked with ben on him and you don't really see many nba players look that distraught by oh, who's yeah. defending them and again he's a high dra- a young high draft pick with talent and that's happening it's not like ben was putting the clamps on cd osman you yeah. know you know it, it, rj barrett's a name he's a talent he's not a top 50 player in the league right now but he's a talent but then people start talking about oh look at how good kevin durant is and don't you need Ben Simmons to guard Kevin Durant in a, in a playoff series? And it's like, one, I don't think anybody's guarding Kevin Durant right yeah. now. Uh, obviously, Ben seems like he would be a pretty good match for him. If you're looking across the league, one of the few guys that maybe can give yeah. Durant some fits. But Durant's going to get his. Mm-hmm. And the problem is Ben isn't going to get his at the other end. Yeah, That's really ultimately what it comes down to. So the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm getting worried that I'm moving toward the idea of this deal. But like I said from the beginning, I'm fine if they do it. I'm not advocating for it. I'm fine if they do it. But my biggest thing that I feel like isn't getting talked about enough is if you're going to do it, then just fucking do it. Get him here now and figure it out. Because you can't wait another month. You can't wait two months to bring him in here and then try to rework the entire team. You really haven't done much to this point. They've all come out and said it. They've barely practiced. They had a very limited camp. And you've played three games, so bringing him in now really doesn't upset that many things. No, and, and dude, like, Brooklyn, from opening night, man, they put the fucking league on notice, dude. And like every other team in the league, they didn't practice together. Kyrie and Durant were out, you know, basically all of last year. And it's just like they just showed up and just started fucking, you know, slaughtering everyone so it's just and that's a great point because i think that's that's really the thing about if you bring harden in right now if you have two guys that are that good you can figure it out as you go Mm -hmm. for a lot but i think you do need to figure some things out as you go like i don't want harden coming in with 30 games left i want him to come in now yeah if you're gonna do it just fucking do it and if if tonight is any indicator i i truly do think that there would be a big difference in this team in games where Joel sat out. There are 69 games left in the NBA season, so if there's ever a nice time to get Harden, it would be right now. But uh, if it's after, you know, we're in game 68, like, nope. Not as nice. Yeah, not as nice. It doesn't mean it's not kind of nice, but it's not nice. Not as nice, yeah. But yeah, so I, I I'm I'm somehow talking myself into it a little bit more, and obviously, like you're you're again, your biggest concern shouldn't be what happens without Joel Embiid because you're you're probably screwed regardless. Yeah. But 
same one. I I do think they're probably a better team if they have Harden and Embiid. And again, like even imagine a first round playoff series. Like Harden might be able to carry you through a first round without yeah. Joel Embiid. There's still plenty of talent on this team, especially if you can find some way to get like a PJ Tucker to come back here as well. If the if the Rockets just go full rebuild or something yeah. like that, and you can and you can pry a guy like that away. Um, but yeah, I. I'm like I'm getting upset now just thinking about <laughs> it because I'm I'm more and more my brain is shifting to they probably have to do this move and the problem is there's a lot of people on Sixers Twitter that I know want to do the move that like I don't want them to say they were right or to get the joy of it yeah and it's very selfish of me but that's where that's where I'm at right now I want them to eat shit and just deal with having Ben Simmons and watch him become great but. I don't know, man. I think yeah, it's. I think they might need to go get James Harden. Yeah, I'm sick about it, and I yeah. would much rather send Tobias Harris and like three first round picks than trade Ben Simmons. Oh yeah, but that's probably not going to happen. So, I mean, hey, maybe we can get Christian Wood to be the backup. So maybe he can come with. Oh, okay. to be the backup yeah. center. No, definitely not going to happen. I'm sure the Sixers have a, another center in the pipeline that will give the Rockets an all in up good anyway. So. We'll, we'll take a better version of Christian Wood right now. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have uh, – oh, man, who's the uh, who's the other guy they had in the G League last year who had the – oh, uh, Christ Kumaje. Oh, yeah. oh, Christ, yes. Yeah, we got we got, we got got Christ Kumaje down they can, there who they had like can 12 blocks in a game. They on their side. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he's the answer. Who knows? He can be uh, – We'll give you Toby, three first-rounders, <laughs> and Christ. we're giving you Christ. It's Sunday. Yeah. You need to receive they Christ are, on Sunday. Yep. I mean. All right. This is getting weird. Yep. Uh, I don't really have anything else. The Sixers play Toronto in Philly on Tuesday. It's at 7? Yes. Probably. I don't know. Look it up. But Steve, 7 o'clock. Yep. Cool. Great. Steve, anything else? Uh, I just love how Daryl Morey from day one just hates Howard Eskin. Doesn't everybody fucking hate yep, Howard just, Eskin? You got to love it. The, the little troll on the. Uh, on Twitter, yeah. yeah. Make sure if you, if you didn't see that, go check that out. He goes back and forth with Howard a little bit, like most people tend to have to do if you're going to exist in this city. Darren Morey's been such a treat on yeah. Twitter since being here. Even even if the basketball stuff doesn't necessarily work out, it's it's been really fun having him here, you know? Yeah, Darren Morey. Someone just must have told him right before, and like, oh, yeah, so there's this fucking local guy, Howard Eskin. Uh, his only objective in life is to get to the press conference first and ask the first question, and, and then like leave. has a big head. Yeah, so and then, and then leave. Yeah. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is, I mean, obviously, like Daryl Morey seems way too from here. Like he, from day one, he's been from here, yeah. and that was the funniest thing about him even getting the job was it really felt like he's been watching it, watching this place for a while. Obviously, you know his, his friend, and you know I I don't know the right word for it his uh mentee yeah something like that yeah uh sam hankey got the job here and starts the process and everything and it 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 was you know how we talked about how stan van gundy gundy seemed like he was on this public campaign to become the head coach of this team and then wasn't even really talked about when they needed to hire one but daryl morey wasn't even in the hiring pool because he had a job he straight up resigns and then comes here and takes this role like it's not like he was let go and it was on on the market he left and basically came right here it's super kind of weird that that was the case but yeah uh love having him here 
Already one of us. Yeah. He I think I weird like he was one of us before he even got here, which is yeah. what, what's really weird, but uh has been tremendous on Twitter. He he's very uh, aware of what's going on. He makes a lot of pretty pretty good comments back and forth with stuff. Uh it's very refreshing to see from, you know, previous regimes of uh burner accounts and big collars and weird shit like Yeah, when's that. the last time we we had someone in a front office role who not only seemed adequate at their job and know what they're doing, but they're also equally as entertaining, like personally, whether it's on social media or being interviewed, like, you know, uh, like, like the Eagles. Pat Croce? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably, probably, yeah. That's probably the answer. Yeah. I mean, the Eagles front office Never. is a fucking mess as is the Philly. So it's like, especially right now, it's, it's kind of nice and refreshing to see. So yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. I, I enjoy that part, but. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll try and keep this one short uh, so we can get to bed and so everybody can wrap this one up, hopefully, uh, on your morning commute if you have to or whenever you decide to listen to it. But we appreciate everybody checking out the episode. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review, and you can check out articles from us and a bunch of the other talented content creators at Last Out Media at lastoutmedia.com. For Steve, I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and trust the podcast.